You're listening to The Bob Zadek Show, a full hour of libertarian discussion with the smartest guests on radio. Live, spontaneous, and thoughtful. It's the show of ideas, not attitude. Now, your host, Bob Zadek. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Bob Zadek Show, the longest-running live libertarian talk radio show on all of radio. Thank you so much for listening this Sunday morning. We are this morning and always the show of ideas, never once the show of attitude. In 1970, Milton Friedman um, wrote uh, a piece in the New York Times. His, uh, I believe it was in the Sunday magazine, if I'm not mistaken, uh, The title of the article, somewhat provocative, was The Social Responsibility of Business is to Increase Its Profits. Kind of seems straightforward to me. It's so obvious to me. It was in 1970 when I read it that I said, well, who would think otherwise, I asked myself. Friedman went on to explain, um, he, he argued that it was not only immoral but inefficient for a corporation to do anything other than maximize shareholder value so long as it could do so legally and consistent with cultural norms. Seems pretty straightforward to me. My question this morning is, was Milton Friedman wrong? Is Milton Friedman wrong? When one challenges an icon uh, such as Milton Friedman, you tread very lightly and very carefully. To help us answer the question, was Milton Friedman wrong? Uh, I'm happy to welcome to the show um, Ed Freeman. Ed is a uh, professor uh, of Business Administration at the University of Virginia, the, the, its School of Business. Uh, he's an author of several books and countless articles. Um, in uh, A while ago, he wrote Strategic Management, a Stakeholder Approach. He wrote that in 2010, if I'm not mistaken. More recently, uh, Ed wrote a book that I reviewed, read the review on, listened to Ed discuss the book many times in uh, as he was explaining the book to various audiences. The book is called The Power of And. He wrote that with Kirsten Martin and Bidham uh, Palmer. And in it, Ed seems to take the position that, yes, Milton Friedman was wrong, or perhaps kind of wrong, or perhaps may have missed the point a bit, but rather than me explain to you the point of the book, I'm happy to welcome to the show Ed Freeman, uh, one of the co-authors of The Power of And, and in that book, as you will learn, uh, Ed fleshes out to whom uh, a corporation does or should Oh, duties, oh, responsibilities, uh, which are the stakeholders, if you will, that a corporation must be responsive to in carrying out its core function, which is to provide goods and services that others might choose to purchase. So, Ed, welcome to the show this morning, and let's start off by my asking you directly. Was Milton Friedman wrong in his position that it is not only immoral but inefficient for a corporation to do anything other than maximize shareholder value? And good morning and welcome to the show, Ed. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Look, first of all, uh, Friedman is uh, one of my uh, intellectual heroes for uh, a number of reasons. Uh, I would say it's it's less a matter of was he wrong uh, than a matter of uh, does his reasoning apply to business today. Uh, Now, I think what Friedman missed, because he's an economist and he wanted to to explain how markets work, what he missed was what really makes a business successful. Any successful business has got to have products and services that customers want, suppliers to make them better, employees who uh, show up and use their minds, uh, be good citizens in the community, and 
make money for shareholders. Those things go together, uh, and that's about the business. So I, I don't think Friedman was wrong so much as I don't think he understood as an economist uh, and as an academic economist uh, what, what really makes a great business tick. Now, a question. Um, you, you had said a second ago, just one second ago, in answer to my question, that uh, Friedman didn't, it wasn't your exact words, didn't quite go far enough. And uh, a corporation should or ought to uh, or must uh, pay attention to the needs of other stakeholders, other constituencies, other than shareholders. Now, my core question, both that occurred to me in uh, going through your book and in listening to you explain it, here's a core question, and maybe it'll be a question which we'll build on during the show. I would, uh, I would never challenge the principle that in maximizing shareholder value, it might be an important uh, tool, it might be an important consideration that the wealth of the corporation, the shareholder value, is furthered by being, having an enlightened employee uh, management, HR policy, because if you have employee turnover, that increases HR costs, and that's bad for business. It would be important to treat creditors and suppliers fairly, because they'll stop selling to you, or they'll charge you more, and again, it'll affect profits. So rather than list uh, all the employees and the and the community and your vendors uh, and government as stakeholders, Aren't they all treating them nicely, nicely is a kind of a platitude, isn't that simply a means to the most important end, which is increasing shareholder value? So is it appropriate to carry those other constituencies on the same line as paying attention to them is as important as paying attention to shareholder value, or are they simply is it important to pay attention to them to increase shareholder value? Uh, well, well, Bob, many people have something at stake by saying it's shareholders that are really most important or it's customers that are really most important. Uh, and I, I really don't. Uh, I think the, uh, the wisdom I get from the businesses that I see are that you have to get these interests going in the same direction over time. Uh, if you don't, for instance, in a free society, what those interests will do is go to government uh, to get their interests taken care of, as we see with the red regulations like the Wagner Act, the Fair Labor Practices Act, uh, all the environmental regulation, a lot of the uniform uh, commercial code. So I, I see these interests as going together, as thriving together, and when you start to say one's more important than the other, you, you tend to start making mistakes. You, 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 you tend to start systematically denying the importance of one, and that's what leads to, again, I think, uh, this uh, impossible tangle uh, of uh, politicization of business and the, and the uh, regulatory state. Now I uh, I understand that, but but what I I found myself worrying about is that paying attention to other stakeholders, lest and you took government paying attention to let's say environmental concerns, um, you say you clearly suggested that if the Profit make, I'll say corporation, even though that's only a question of form, it could be an LLC, it could be a partnership, but I'll say corporation as the for profit organization in whatever form it is. So the corporation, which I'm using broadly, uh, pays attention to the environment not because it feels a moral responsibility to do so, although it might, but it does so so that. If it doesn't, 
government will come down and do so with a heavy hand, thereby increasing the cost of the corporation more than the cost which the corporation imposes upon itself by devoting some dollars to the environment. So there, the corporation isn't some freestanding concern about externalities, the environment, but rather it's doing so to, to keep government away, which is the greater of two evils. Am I, is that an unfair, am I missing the point somehow in that well, analysis? Uh, Bob, you can frame it like that. Uh, and uh, look, there are lots of reasons for uh, paying, paying, paying attention to the environment. Uh, one reason is oftentimes what companies have found is if they pay attention to uh, the environment, they can find how to they can find out how to do things better, faster, cheaper. The second reason is sometimes their employees care about about that. The third reason is sometimes they think that uh, maybe just maybe companies shouldn't spoil the environment uh, that they're a, par- a par- part of. Trying to reduce all that to kind of one story about profitability, well, you can do that. Uh, I, I, I just don't see. Uh, I'm, I'm not an ideologue. I, I don't see the need to do to do that. Business is this wonderful institution, but there are lots of reasons for businesses to be started and to exist. Uh, and I think it's not worthy of us to say to reduce it all to uh, a drive for profitability uh, and competition. Look, Friedman was worried about something that that I worry about. Friedman was worried about a movement in the 60s uh, of corporate social responsibility, which was essentially businesses doing uh, stuff to kind of kill out the unrest in society uh, and and to do stuff that they really didn't know much about, uh, donating to good causes, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, What I'm worried about is... Uh, uh, you know, and I, I still think he was, he was kind of right about, about, about that. Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not much in favor of corporate social responsibility. I'm in favor of business being responsible to its stakeholders, of being responsible for the effects of its actions. Uh, I think any good libertarian, which I'm probably not, um, you know, has to believe that, um, you, you need, with freedom comes responsibility. Uh, and that's what you need to get stakeholder thinking, at least my version of it, uh, off, off the ground. Uh, I've never written in opposition to Friedman. Uh, I have thought that, uh, you know, I'm interested in how to run a great business. He was interested in trying to explain how markets work. And those are just two different things. Now, we can boil this down, and in thinking about the show and um, your book, um, I can drill down and I can pose a very simple question, hypothetical and a question, which I think will help us focus on uh, the principle or principles of your book. I have, I remember studying corporations in law school. In fact, Ed, if I can boast to my audience, it was the only A I ever got uh, in law school. I don't know why I didn't think of myself that way, but I just liked it. And in thinking about it, I remember one of my earliest conclusions was, as a very young lawyer and and a young man, that I said, it's probably per se bad management of a corporation, and I always think in terms of very stark blacks and whites. I don't, I don't do well in grays. So I said to myself then, and this will be my question, to help us focus on the issue we're discussing this morning, I felt it was almost indefensible for a corporation to make a charitable contribution, to give any money away to charity. Why? Because... A corp- stakeholders invested money in a corporation for one purpose, not to accomplish a social good. Shareholders would give their money to a charity if they wanted to accomplish a social good, 
but they gave the money to the corporation for the sole purpose of getting a return. That's why one makes investments. And if a corporation cannot use every penny I, as a shareholder, gave to the corporation towards that end, then they should give it back to me, and I'll give it to, to another entity. And if a corporation is giving away my money, if you will, to a charity, then they are forcing me to support a charity, which I may not want to support. So I, I like in my world of blacks and whites, I say, I'll give money to a charity directly to accomplish a social good, and I give money to a corporation to accomplish specifically an economic good, at least for me. Now, where do you and I, uh, if we do it all, where are we, where do we differ in that analysis? Well, I think several places, Bob. First of all, markets work when people have only strictly economic preferences. The, market, uh, the market, markets don't capture what my moral pre- preferences are. So I might buy stock because I want it to stop doing something, and I want to vote on that. Uh, the markets don't cap- capture that. Maybe the governance mechanisms do uh, a little bit. On this business of, uh, you know, it's your money, Actually, you haven't given a penny to the corporation. All you've done is buy a piece of paper that somebody else sold. So you you have this idea that that you own it in the sense of, like I own this pencil I'm writing with. That's really uh, misleading, uh, I, I think. Owning a corporation is, 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 is different uh, from that. It's not resolvable into... You know, you get to get some of the machinery if it, if it goes uh, bust. Uh, now, there's something, too, I think, the idea that you don't want companies doing stuff they don't know anything about. Uh, but communities turn out to be important. Communities are places where uh, employees live, where they're suppliers. And living in a thriving community um, is something that, and being a known as a community builder is something that uh, certainly is, is in the interest uh, of the corporation. So I, I don't buy this narrative that it's about uh, owning property. I mean, corporation, first of all, in the law, corporations own themselves. That's absolutely uh, clear. Um, and so this idea that shareholders own the core corporation, uh, legally, my understanding is that's just a myth. Uh, now, it might be a good idea to treat it like that, uh, but then what you'd have to say was that, well, companies that treat it like that do better than companies that don't. And they can, but they don't have to. So I think there's a lot of, you, you said, well, it simplifies in black and white. Yeah, it's hard to do that uh, in business because, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a lot more complicated uh, than, we, than the economic textbooks would have us believe. So I, I, don't, I don't think that's such, <clears throat> the way I would put it is, I don't have any real problem except that I, I don't think it's a very useful way to think about it. In, 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 in today's world. To discuss this in very tangible um, terms, in your book, you share with us um, a little anecdote about Cisco Systems. And uh, where Cisco, which operates, of course, in Silicon Valley, it's always been there, it's head office, and it, um, it made... A, you tell the story that it gave, I think, $50 million uh, to Santa Clara County uh, to fight chronic homelessness, uh, and it did so in the form of a public-private partnership. All of that is mechanical. Who cares? And then they donated another $10 million uh, to invest in uh, a local community development institution. Does that... Is that a good example, you certainly cited it in your book, of what you have in mind in inviting 
heads of corporations to have responsibility to a larger group than stakeholders. Is that a good example for us to talk about for a few minutes? Well, again, I, I don't know uh, more than we said uh, said in the book. I think what's happened is companies understand they need they need partners that they don't know how to do uh, you know uh, some of these pro- projects with c- communities, and they've they've discovered that if they can partner with uh, NGOs uh, in these stakeholder partnerships, uh, they can be more effective. And that's that's what I take it uh, Cisco has done. And Cisco, which has earned a return for its shareholders because of its expertise in manufacturing chips and the like. I can't use technical terms because it's not what I do for a living. But they have uh, followed its core expert its expertise to make a lot of money for shareholders and in doing so they benefit society they create a product that makes business more efficient which means economic activity grows everybody benefits from the profits cisco makes so long as it makes them lawfully and does and treats all of its um counterparties fairly and honestly and in a way that makes management proud Cisco, to take this only as an example, and like you, Ed, I know not much more than the story you have told in your book, but I say to myself, so here's Cisco spending $50 million to counteract homelessness. Now, I ask myself in reading your anecdote, Ed, homelessness, man, what a complicated problem. Homelessness is caused by lots of factors, one of which clearly is, in my opinion, uh, government uh, mismanaging the problem. The primary, the primary actor in counteracting homelessness is government or is private charities. They are the primary actors. And Cisco, in throwing $50 million dollars, might be, if you will, rewarding the government which caused the problem. In other words, Cisco doesn't offer itself to its investors and creditors as one which is knowledgeable in curing homelessness. And I don't suspect they have a homelessness department in their company. What I worry about is, Ed, it, it's kind of a mission creep, just like a government does a bad job at earning a return on any investment it makes. Solyndra, of course, is the classic example. Government is not so good at making a profit, but they might be good at doing, at protecting, at running a court system and protecting our person and property because that's their core mission. Are you fuzzing, are you making core missions fuzzier so that corporations are urged to take on some of the responsibilities of government or of charities. And once you have this mission creep, this it's hard to measure performance. So speak, if you will, about specialization and mission creep. Corporations should be doing what they do best, governments doing what they do best, and nonprofits and charities doing what they do best. Well, I think corporations, uh, Bob, uh, should do what they do best, and what they do best is they create value for customers, suppliers, employees, communities, and the people with the money. That's what they do best. That's what they've always done best, even if we haven't always recognized that. Uh, it's a it's a bit like the uh, Moliere character who who understands. Oh, I'm speaking prose. When companies recognize that they've always been creating value. Uh, for these stakeholders, now I can do it better. Not everything they do, you're going to agree with, or I'm going to agree, agree, agree with. But I don't think that the purpose of a company uh, is to make as much money as possible. That that's like, look, businesses have to make profits. Uh, people on the left who think profits are evil, that's just stupid. Okay, but. Uh, the people on the right who think that profits are the be-all and end-all 
in, in the same place. Look, it's like I need red blood cells to live, but the purpose of my life is not to make red blood cells. Uh, sometimes I have to focus on making red blood cells, but it's still not the purpose of my life. Businesses have to have profits to live, uh, and let's assume that's what our finance colleagues tell us. They've got to have profits at at least the weighted average cost of capital, what the finance people call the whack. Still not the purpose of a business. Entrepreneurs don't start a business uh, just to make money. If they do, uh, they've got a – I know what I tell my students. Uh, you know, if you want to start a business to get rich, you better get a job. It's a hell of a lot easier uh, to, 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 to get rich working your way up through a career uh, than it is to start something that makes a difference. Starting a business is hard. You've got to have some sense of passion, some sense of purpose as to, uh, why, to, as, as to why to do it. Uh, and look, there's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. I, I don't object to that at all. Uh, I just think I understand the stakeholder idea gives you a much better, more nuanced understanding of, of how that process works. Uh, you can't have a business without customers or without suppliers or without employees or without communities uh, and certainly not without investors. Those interests are interconnected, and it's seeing the interconnections that's important. You can say, well, so the end is profits or the end is paying attention to stakeholders. Sometimes, you know, those all come to the same thing. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't. I don't have any. I don't. I don't. I don't have a, a horse in the race to say it's just the stakeholders minus the shareholders, people believe, or it's just the shareholders. I don't. I think juxtaposing those two is is what's led to um, you know a little bit of the impasse that that's there. We need to see how they're connected, uh, and that's what the power of Ann tries tries to do. Tries to show how uh, purpose and profit, stakeholders and shareholders, ethics and business, how those things are connected together. Friedman saw the connection. He just didn't go far enough with with, with the connections because he says, remember, not just as you quoted him, uh, you can't violate any cultural norms. He actually said you can't violate any, any, uh, I think his word was ethical custom. Uh, he gets he gets lambasted all the time as saying uh, business ethics doesn't exist, but that's not that's actually not his view. Now we both have. Let's start with the obvious premise that you and I will spend every minute of every day thinking about how to. And I'm going to use a platitude, but I really mean it in a non-platitudinal sense. We want to make the world a better place. Let's start with that premise. Now, and you're, you present to us that, well, a means to that end is if corporations, and remember, I mean all, all types of profit-making business, whatever form, if corporations or you urge or encourage uh, corporate leadership to pay attention to the needs of workers, creditors, the community, the environment, and even government in a way. Uh, pay well, attention to that. Consider uh, Certainly okay. customers, suppliers, employees, communities, and the people with the money. Those are the five groups that I've talked talked about. I just want to be clear about that. Okay, good. I, I, I always love it, I, I, and I mean this with utter sincerity. I love when my guests correct me, because that means you just taught me something. So thank you. Uh, and feel free. Correct the heck out of me, because I love it. Uh, no now, problem. I, so we I, both I just have the same... interpreted a lot, so I'm a little sensitive. It's welcome. It's, it's welcome. Now, so I say, in my view, my purely libertarian view, uh, as the, to get to that holy grail of making the world a better place is corporations have a very, very specific function. Create wealth, create value, behave 
if you will, with greed. We'll come back to that because I love talking about greed. Uh, and when they create value, they put money in my, if I'm a shareholder, my pocket. What will I do with that money? One would hope, and indeed I expect, that shareholders will, to some degree, take the wealth that they have earned and use it towards that common goal of, if you will, making the world a better place. Shareholders will do it in the way that they think is best, supporting a university, supporting a church, supporting a medical research, whatever. Shareholders will do that. So the wealth created by this highly specialized activity called making money, wealth is created and then filters down into society en masse so that society will use the newly created wealth to make the world, as I started with, a better place. And by doing so, the same dollars find its way ultimately to the same needy recipients, but everybody is behaving with freedom. I get to dispose of my money to the charities that I support. Same result, the world is a better place. But in if, if corporations devote too much of what otherwise would be profits to nonprofit activities, paying attention to the world at large, the money finds its way to the world at large, but I was forced to support that involuntarily. So just that's a pure libertarian reaction. And just uh, speak to that, if you would. Well, I think that's one pure libertarian reaction. It's not the only one. Your, 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 your assumption that if I, uh, do, let's say, do what Cisco did and uh, invest something in the community, that, that that has no or a negative relationship uh, on profits, uh, the evidence for that is, uh, uh, is not clear. The evidence is uh, the more you pay attention to your stakeholders, uh, the more profits you make. Now, what people want to know often is, if I manage my company this way that I've been saying, am I guaranteed to make more money? And, you know, my, my answer to that is, you want to guarantee buy a refrigerator. Uh, businesses don't come with that. If you try to maximize shareholder value, are you guaranteed to do that? The answer, of course, is no. Is it possible uh, that you make more money? Sure. Uh, what many people would say uh, in today's world, uh, Bob, is that, look, this, this is this way of managing uh, is, is going to be uh, table stakes. Uh, it, 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 they're going to win. Uh, when you have the support of customers, suppliers, uh, employees, and communities, and shareholders, and, and you got to have that, it's an and here. Uh, you can keep reducing it to an or, but I'll, I'll keep reframing it as an and, you know. If you have the support of all of those groups, uh, you will do better uh, over a longer period of time. Uh, you'll do better today, and you'll do better over a longer period of time. So I, I, don't, I don't accept the way of framing the pro problem uh, that lots of people who are really far too enamored uh, with economic theory, uh, more enamored with it than I am, uh, of saying uh, if, you know, stakeholders represent a trade off rather than uh, their ways to uh, avoid or, or uh, dissolve what those trade offs are. If I look for a trade off between shareholders and customers, what I'm going to find is trade offs. If I look for a way to satisfy both, I might not find it. Human beings have to be, you know, we got to be modest about our abilities. But I'm not going to find it if I don't look for it. Capitalism works because we can, we can use our imagination to figure out how to do stuff that, you know, we've ne it's never been done. We invent vocabularies to solve our problems. Uh, I mean, it's really, it's the greatest system of social cooperation ever. 
but it's about how we cooperate together, how we get customers, suppliers, employees, communities, and people with the money going in the same direction uh, roughly over time. Sometimes you've got to make trade trade-offs because you can't figure it out. But over time, great companies figure out how to get those going in the same direction. Some companies get broken. Here's, here, they get broken because here's of... Here's a question. Uh, yeah. I can I can frame I thought of a hypothetical or question that will help us really um, connect up or see where we di- where we agree. Let us assume that because of a life experiences of the senior manager of a corporation, the senior manager has a fondness for some art, some form of art. And the senior manager and makes a causes the corporation to make a fifty million dollar I just picked that number because it was in your Cisco anecdote. That's the only reason. Uh, makes a fifty million dollar negotiation to the New York City Metropolitan Museum of Art. Now no one could argue in general with contributing to a cultural institution that accomplishes a public good. And so that contribution is made. Uh, and let us assume that there is absolutely, um, I'm making it easy, assume the study commissioned by a big four accounting firm by the corporation is that this $50 million contribution to the Metropolitan Museum of Art will produce no benefit, no direct economic benefit to the corporation. Is that act uh, praiseworthy under your standards or not? Where it's clearly... Money that is deprived from profit-making activity to, and I'm telling you, I'm stipulating to make it easy, to a activity which produces no benefit to the corporation, whatever, but pays attention to a stakeholder. In this case, a, a museum, and let's say the corporation is headquartered in New York, so it's a museum in its hometown. Well, if the corporation's headquartered in New York and $50 million doesn't produce any benefit, and there are lots of benefits that are not just economic benefits, then you're right. As I said earlier, Friedman was worried about that kind of donation, and as I said earlier, so am I. Uh, I think it's $50 million that could best be spent figuring out how to create more value for its customers, suppliers, employees, communities, and the shareholders. And so, what I've done is, uh, what I've, what I've just accomplished is, I found a way for you to hug you and I to hug, sing kumbaya, and say, "Man, do we agree?" Because we agree that if something does not produce any economic benefit no, to the corporation, no, but is otherwise. Benefit. I said no benefits. Uh, I'm not okay. reducing all um, benefits to economic benefits to shareholders. That, that's your reduction, and not, I say, not mine. If, if the benefit does not find its way to economic benefit, ultimately, it may not directly, but if it does not produce any economic benefit to the corporation, the manager should be in prison. Um, because his job is to maximize value, um, and one of the tools of maximizing value is maybe to be a good citizen and to get publicity, and more people will buy the products because they feel good about buying the product. Because this corporation, Whole Foods, John Mackey, who is a, who is has really promoted Whole Foods as a an enterprise which pays attention to all of its stakeholders. I think Whole Foods is probably one of the poster children, isn't it not, Ed, for a way of corporate governance that you embrace. So I, I picked John Mackey not by random, but because I think he embodies what you have in mind. Is that a fair assumption? Uh, I think that's right. Uh, John, uh 
sometimes self-identifies as a libertarian. Uh, look, as do I, except that it's hard to know uh, in today's world what a libertarian is because they're... Uh, uh, there are too many nut jobs on both the left and the right. Uh, easy, easy, easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the left and the right. There, by the I'm way, I'm always going to say that. That's no question about, about about that. So it's just hard to know. You know, I think what what I, I wouldn't speak for John. What I would say is that one of the most important principles here is that you need to be responsible for the effects of your action. Look, I grew up poor on a dirt farm in Georgia, and we knew that you had to you had to deal with those groups of individuals that you could affect or that could affect you. That's just life 101. Uh, and it seems to me the incredible freedoms that we have come also with the responsibility to be sure. You know, you're you're responsible for what you sow in 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 the world. Uh, responsibility is complicated, uh, but uh, it's that those twin ideas of freedom and responsibility, uh, I think, that are absolutely critical uh, to uh, to uh, to a good society. Oftentimes, the people who want to talk about responsibility forget about freedom. And the people who want to talk about freedom forget about responsibility. Uh, I see those things as going together, and they really have have under, been the foundation. Uh, I've I've been writing about this uh, not since 2010, but since uh, 1977 uh, when I wrote one of the first papers on this. Uh, and uh, I, I've always thought that freedom and responsibility uh, go together as a, a sort of hallmark of principles. There are lots of ways to spell that out. There are liberal ways and conservative ways and libertarian ways. Uh, but both of those things have to go together, I think. Taking your um, the approach that you explained so clearly in your book, The Power of End, um, uh, that, of course, um, is part of you, that is part of a much bigger, perhaps I'll use the expression, movement. Uh, in preparing uh, for the show, uh, I came across something which I wasn't aware of. Um, you probably are. Something called the United Nations Principles of Responsible Investing, yep. which seems to be, um, in its UN collectivist way, um, a lot of the approaches... Uh, an orient uh, investment orientation that you advocate in your book. Uh, are you familiar with that uh, that phrase? And is that similar to what you recommend in your book? Uh, well, the at, at the UN for, level, the uh, principle of responsible investing. I mean, you can tar it with the sort of whatever you think of the of the UN. Uh, that that's fine. That's not really a a very. Uh, I mean, that's just appeal to authority. Some some somehow. Uh, my my take on that is if you if you look at Wall Street, uh, they're now I think roughly ten trillion dollars worth of uh, investment in what's called ESG, Environment, Society, and Governance. One of the ways of doing that is the principle for responsible investment. But every investment bank I know is trying to figure out how to sort this out. Now, one of the reasons, and, and here I think I got some good news for you, Bob. One of the reasons for this is there's strong evidence that companies uh, who pay attention to, again, what's called ESG, you could substitute uh, my stakeholder thing in there if you want, uh, they actually do better. By do better, I mean in the narrow sense, they make more money. Uh, and so, you know, uh, I, again, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have an ideological horse in this. I, I'm just interested in how business works, uh, and I think business works better when you actually pay attention to customers, suppliers, employees, communities, and and the people with the money, and how those things go together. It's not one way to do it what for every my business. What caught my attention in learning about, for me, for the first time, 
with the United Nations Principles of Responsible Investing, was a statement um, as part of those principles that says, as uh, institutional investors, we, which is society, have a duty to act in the best long-term interest of our beneficiaries. I, I focused on duty. I don't use the word duty so lightly. Um, duty, this principle of responsible investing, which includes managing shareholder wealth as you're in a corporation, what can you tell us about the source of the duty? Is it something that you would hope managers do have because they're good people uh, with a strong moral compass? Or is the duty a word that I don't use, that I use very cautiously? Uh, is the duty somehow more direct? And what is that duty? And to who is it owed? Well, thought uh, again i don't i don't know these principles like the back of my hand if it says duty to the beneficiary I, I assume the beneficiary is who's the beneficiary of the of, of the investment um and um you know for institutional investors that's whoever holds the paper uh, is, is well the, the u.n says so, the u.n says um that the duty is to environmental social uh ESG, in effect, as you had explained earlier, the duty is to, for a corporation, it owes a direct duty to manage the environment uh, and uh, society or to use their dollars paying attention to harm to or benefit to society. And once, and this kind of reminds me, Ed, and maybe you can speak to this, there was, as I recall, the um, uh, about 18 months ago, uh, the uh, conference board, uh, which is the membership association of the largest businesses in America. Oh, you mean the they business signed off the business roundtable. Thank you. That the, it used to be called the conference board. The business roundtable. Thank you so much. Um, they all signed off on. Again, uh, a statement of policy, which is exactly what you advocate. So, and that scared the heck out of me when I read about it. I feared the the mission creep in the extreme. So it became it would become. I feared, and I was go, I often go to extremes. I feared that this would make it impossible to invest. Because if I would invest and entrust my investment dollars to a profit-making business, they'd be using my money, which I gave them for a very specific purpose, increased wealth. They'd be using it for their own version of the public good, but it might not be my version. And I feared that the market would become grossly inefficient. Put my mind at rest. That would be a, a massive service to me and to my listeners. Well, first of all, Bob, there's a Wall Street rule. You don't like what a company's doing, you sell a stock. Second of all, I would remind you that you didn't actually give your money to a company uh, un unless it was in an IPO. Uh, what you did was you bought some stock that somebody else wanted to sell, and you exchanged pieces of paper, and what you have the right to is the right to sell that piece of paper to somebody else. Uh, and so that story uh, that you've told now several times, uh, you know, it's a, it, it's a nice story, but to me it's not actually how it works. Now, I'll try to put your mind at ease by saying if companies really follow what the roundtable said it was going to do, and there is a, a group called Just Capital that's sort of holding their feet to the fire, you know, trying to see are they, are they really doing this stuff. Uh, they're doing that with respect to, you can go to Just Capital's website and see what those 180 companies are doing with, res with respect to uh, uh, racial inequality or with respect to COVID uh, even. Uh, I would put your mind at ease by saying the more these companies try to pay attention to their stakeholders, the better they're going to do. 
all the evidence is pointing uh, is pointing in that direction. And it's not that Friedman was wrong. It was just that the world's more complicated. We don't know everything. The world's more global. Uh, there's a lot more uh, uncertainty. And so we have to drop back from trying to maximize shareholder value and try to look at the factors that lead to that. How you deal with customers, how you deal with suppliers and employees and communities uh, result in shareholder value. So you have to see shareholder value as a result of how you manage those stakeholder relationships. So the roundtable's embracing of that uh, is a really good thing, uh, and your money's going to be safer. Well, I am so relieved when we end the show by you are saying it and the magic words are result in increase in shareholder value. I now can do another email to my broker saying cancel all those cells because Ed tells me things are going to be okay. So, Ed, I like to end my shows on a high note and you have you have inadvertently but beautifully ended on a high note. I don't have to short everything in sight. So, so this is Bob Zadig uh, thanking Ed Freeman for his spending an hour with us this morning and for writing his book, The Power of And. He wrote it with Kirsten Martin and Bidham. Parmer, P-A-R-M-A-R. It is a wonderful read, as you can tell from this show. It really, it forces you to think about business in a way that perhaps you have not done so before. So, Ed, you have performed a wonderful public service by exposing us to a point of view we otherwise would not be exposed to. So thank you so much for the book. Thanks so much for spending an hour with us this morning. And thank you to my friends out there for sharing an hour of your time this Sunday morning. Bob Zadig saying so long for now. I'll be back again next Sunday. Thanks so much, and go somebody or other in the Super Bowl, whoever you're rooting for.